our attention to our Rebuild series. We are in the book of Nehemiah. We've been there for a number of weeks now, and we are now in chapter 8 of Nehemiah. I wonder how many of us are feeling the the uncertainty of life at the moment, I, the the virus that is uh, taking the world by storm, the the uncertainty that that seems to bring on people's travel arrangements at a minimum, uh, and uh, everything else which is going on. You know, there's, you know, it's fair to say that many of us could well be in here today wondering just you know what is going on with with our world, and yet the reality is this: that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You're the most alive and joyful person on the planet. Do you know that? You might say, I don't feel like that. Is that really true? Well, today we're going to discover why and uh, possibly even change some of our perspective. And it all comes because of reading God's word and understanding his word and applying the truth of his word to align how we live. Right? Honestly, it's that simple. We're going to discover today that by reading God's word, understanding it and applying it to our life, that there is a joy that is ours in Jesus Christ and that we as followers of Jesus Christ are the most alive and joy-filled people on the face of planet Earth. So to understand how it all works, we need to read Nehemiah chapter 8. And Nehemiah chapter 8, the context of that is uh, the beginning part of Nehemiah. It's a book in the Old Testament. It's the historical account of a leader, Nehemiah, who came and rallied the, the people of Jerusalem to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem after it had been destroyed 150 years earlier. And uh, the first few chapters talk about how you lead with vision and how you lead when there is opposition and how you lead through challenge and eventually how you lead when the attack gets personal. And all of that culminates in the celebration that they had, in fact, built the wall. Then we get to Nehemiah chapter 8. And the very first thing that they do after rebuilding the wall is they want to have the Word of God read. So that is what we are going to do. And to do it properly... We're going to stand. And the reason for that will become abundantly clear as to why. So would you please stand to your feet and let's read Nehemiah chapter 8. It goes like this. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Behind him, on, behind, beside him on his right stood Matt and Alistair and John and James. And on his left was, um, was Jeremy and Chip and Grant. Right, they're the elders here at the street, which is far more pronounceable than these guys you've got on the pages there. Ezra opened up the book. All of the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the peoples all stood up. That's why you're standing. Got it? This is like interactive reading. How about that? Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands. And all the people responded. Amen. 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 
And they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Oh, come on. (laughs) The Levites, and those names are equally unpronounceable, and that you could put in there, if you like, life group leaders or teachers of the word, people who teach here on Sunday morning. They instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This is a holy day to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the teacher to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees, and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and in the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until the day the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. May God bless the reading of his word to us all. Amen. Please take a seat. Followers of Jesus are the most alive and joy-filled people on the planet. Why? They must hear from God. I love the fact that here after the wall has been built, the first thing they paid attention to was God's word. You know, you could have excused them for doing a whole bunch of other things, right? Imagine this, the city walls are rebuilt. What's the first thing we need to do? Well, maybe we need to establish a health and safety committee to make sure that the wall is you know, kept safe. Maybe we need to you know, build a maintenance team. They need to keep the wall going. Maybe now we need to reestablish our governing structures. Maybe we need to set up a whole bunch of other sort of social enterprises to make sure that people are well cared for. All those things are good and right and proper, but the very first thing they did as a people was they said, we need to put God's word first. I'll tell you, it's one of the most profound things they could have ever done. And they listened attentively. Why? Because they firmly believed that God's word was God's revelation. You know, your attitude to and your belief in God's word is displayed in your response to those words. Now, we, we had a... Um, a situation a couple of months ago, it happens every 10 years with monotonous regularity, our washing machine breaks down. 
right? Anybody else notice that they seem to last about 10 years, give or take a year or two? It's always very frustrating, and you, you know when it starts to, um, the clothes come out dirtier than they went in, you realize that there is a problem. And anyway, so uh, we went and bought another washing machine, and um, it needed to be delivered, and they were going to charge me $65 for the delivery, and I thought, blow that, I'm a good Kiwi male, I can do this myself. So the guy said to me, he said, okay, if you're not going to install it yourself, the only thing you need to remember is on the back of this washing machine, there is a plate with some bolts in it. You need to make sure you take the bolts out, otherwise the washing machine inside will turn, but it will actually destroy it. So you need to do that. That's a transport thing. I said, sure, no problem, piece of cake. I know exactly what I'm doing. So they rang up a few days ago, and they said, your washing machine is ready to pick up. So I went and picked it up and brought it back and got it out of the box and there it was sitting in all its glory on our kitchen floor next to the wash house and and I went around the back and I expected to see a big plate with four bolts. Instead what I saw was four individual bolts with like big um, plastic grommets. <clears throat> it wasn't emotional, it just was a frog in the throat. Um, <laughs> with plastic grommets and a, and a spanner. So I got the spanner, I started to turn it, and I thought, that doesn't quite feel right. And I, I had this horrible moment of going, I've paid good money for this. If I make it up and wreck it, how stupid would I be? So I did the most unthinkable thing. I found the instruction manual. <laughs> And I read the instruction manual. I know, it was awful. And, and I discovered that uh, what I was doing was right. I just needed the reassurance. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I just had to pull these things out and make sure it was all sourced and got there and turned it on. The washing machine works perfectly. You know, you are far more valuable than a washing machine. And God who created you sent you with a manual. That's his work. And you know, there are things which happen in our life and there are things which go along where it doesn't quite go as we expect or sometimes things are unexpected or just simply how to, how to live life as it's supposed to be lived. And I want to tell you that this describes how life is supposed to be lived. And it, it mystifies me as to why we as followers of Jesus would not base our lives on the word that he gave us because this is the word that he's given us, and it is for our life. It is to live life. It is to live this alive, joy-filled life, because you are the most joy-filled, alive people on the face of the planet, if you live according to God's word. And this is what these people did. And they, they gave their attention to God's word because they trusted God's word, because they knew it had this effect of life, and they relied on it, so they listened to it. And as they listened to it, it brought revival. You know, it's interesting watching the way that they did this. When, when Ezra opened the word, he probably didn't do that. He probably did more like that, right? It was a scroll. And as he opened it, they all stood up. Why did they do that? Well, have you ever noticed when something incredible happens, you jump to your feet? You know, like when the hurricanes get a try, right? We, yeah, I, I know, yeah. It happens, right? And yeah, we, we jump to our feet. Or someone important comes in, where you all sort of stand up. And it's like they were saying in that moment, in their heart of hearts, they were saying, this is a very important moment. As I open God's word, this is incredibly important. I wonder if that's your posture when you open God's word. 
I wonder if in your mind and in your soul whether you go, I'm standing for God's word. And then it says that Ezra praised the Lord and the people responded. And I wonder what he said. I wonder what he prayed. I wonder if he prayed something along the lines of, God, thank you, you are faithful and true. Thank you that that you have rescued us. Thank you, you have redeemed us. Thank you, you have led us to this point. Thank you, you have given us such clear instructions on how to live. Thank you that you've given us your word and we can freely read your word. And God, it is a privilege this morning to be able to open your word so that we can learn from you. I wonder if he prayed something like that. And and in that moment, it says what they did is they worshipped. They they stood there like this. Do you notice how vulnerable that feels? Do you notice how when when you're like this, there's there's no self-preservation and self-protection? It's like you're literally standing before the Lord and you're saying, Lord, here I am. I give everything up to you. And the incredible thing about it is this. Not only do you say, Lord, I give everything up to you, but you're in a posture where you can receive everything from him. And there's this beautiful moment as they are are worshipping. They're saying, God, everything I have is yours and I want to receive everything that you have for me. And then they said, Amen and Amen. And I love the fact that they said it out loud. They were obviously not a Kiwi male, right? Because here's how Kiwi males do a really enthusiastic response. They go like this. They go, hmm. And I reckon that we need to do more like, ah, men. What do you reckon? Oh, thank you. It's true. Because I don't know about you, but I notice that when I get over myself and I do that, it actually evokes far more response in my soul. I saw that very considered nod. You could have gone, Amen. There we go. There we go. That's good. Right? And it evokes an incredible response from us. And then they worshipped. And that idea of sticking your head in the dirt is simply to say, and I surrender everything to you. You are God, I'm not. You're high above. I'm here. I surrender to you. What a beautiful posture. God, I give everything to you. I'm open to receive everything from you. I align myself and agree wholeheartedly with your words, and I now bow myself before you to say, Lord, your words are true. They are the ones I depend on. They are the ones I rely on. I honor you, and I worship you. And that enables them to be in a place where they receive God's word. I wonder what your posture is as you open God's word. I wonder if it's more sometimes just to tick it off because it's what we're supposed to do as good good Jesus followers. Or I wonder if you come in that place and imagine tomorrow morning as you open God's word to start your day. And you go, God, here I am. I'm ready to receive. I want to affirm that what you say is true and I'm going to submit myself to the authority of your word today and then allow him to speak to you powerfully, clearly. Be prepared. It goes on, and, and as they read it, it talks in verse 8 about the, the Levites making it clear. It literally was to break it up so that it's in bite-sized chunks that they can understand it. And, and if you want that in a simple term, uh, as Ezra read it, they then needed to understand it. So it was, well, what does this phrase mean, and how does it apply to my life? 
and uh, some great questions to ask him that as you're reading through it. So what promise is there to claim? What command is there to keep? What sin is there to confess? What lesson is there to learn? And what attribute of God is being described so that I can worship him? You know, as we read God's word, it's not just this passive in, you know, interaction with words. It's literally saying, is there, as I'm reading this through, is there a promise of God that I need to say amen to? Is there a command that I need to bow low to to say that is true and I will follow you? Is there a sin to confess or say, God, I, I agree I've fallen short? Is there a lesson to learn, something to say, God, I need to store this in my life because it needs to guide the way that I live? Or is there an attribute of God that you discover where you just simply bow down and worship? Say, here I am, Lord. I want to worship you for who you are and for what you've done. What was interesting was, as Ezra was reading the words and as the Levites were describing and helping the people understand them, they started to weep. And they wept because they came under a godly conviction because they realized that they had failed in keeping God's law. And the word began to bring conviction to them. There was that moment where, where they realized that they were not as they should have been. And it's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I don't know if you've ever seen it or you've experienced it yourself when the Holy Spirit begins to work in your heart. And it's incredible to see how the Word of God is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword where it penetrates deeply into our soul. And that moment of revelation that you have when you realize you are where you are because you've done what you've done. And when you see the truth of the gap between God's will and desire for you and the reality of how you're living, and this is conviction. And it cuts deep. And it can bring tears as people see their failing. But I love the reality that Ezra and Nehemiah and the others, as they saw people beginning to weep, they ran around and they said, hang on, wait a minute, don't weep, don't mourn, because this is a day of rejoicing, because we are being renewed. It's a time of coming back to God. It's a time of restoration. And so go and eat and drink and enjoy food and party, and if somebody hasn't got anything, make sure that they've got food and drink so that they can party along with you. And so in this moment where the Word of God is penetrating your soul and you go, oh my goodness, I am so far from where God wants me to be, and before you have a chance to sink into condemnation, get to that in a minute, they come around and say, now you understand, be renewed. And be filled with joy and go party. In the Christian sense. Yeah, conviction leads to repentance. And repentance leads to joy. Which is another way of describing revival. Revival in my life through obedience to the word of God. You know... They were to rejoice in the love and the mercy of God. The saying, he who has been forgiven much rejoices much and worships much. 
You know, it's that beautiful picture in the New Testament when Jesus was anointed by the woman with, with oil and she came and sort of bust in on a party that Jesus was having with his disciples. And as she, she knelt at his feet and poured ointment on his feet and, and they got a bit annoyed with her and they said, look, Jesus, just get her out of here. We're enjoying ourselves. And he said, well, wait a minute. She has been forgiven so much. And her expression of worship is so much deeper because she knows the depth to which she was and how she's been taken out of that and has been seated and filled with joy. Yeah, I wonder if for some of us our worship and our expression of gratitude to God is not as deep as it could be because we haven't allowed the word of God to bring conviction around the depth of our sin. So you're talking about joy and you want me to feel bad about myself? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying let's get honest with how far short of God we fall. And in that moment when you come before the creator of heaven and earth, incredible in holiness, and you just simply stand before him with your hands in your pockets and go, sin? Oh, look, I've made a couple of slight indiscretions, but yeah, yeah, we're all good. And your worship tends to be, yeah, we're all good. Yeah, yeah, we're fine. But when you come to him and you, you allow the word of God to say you were dead in your sin, you were, you were destined for eternal wrath because of your sin. And you realize it's actually not about levels of sin. It's about the fact of sin. And you in that moment stand before a holy God and you start to weep because you say, that is who I was. And it's like the Holy Spirit in that moment does not Ezra and Nehemiah and comes around and says, don't weep because Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. I'm forgiven because he was forsaken. I'm accepted he was condemned. I'm alive and well because your spirit lives within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It is my joy to honor you. And that moment of conviction turns into a party because we are created to party. Did you know that? You'll never find that verse in the Bible. But it is a logical conclusion from the fact that we are the most joy-filled, alive people on the face of the planet. But please listen to this. There is a huge difference between conviction and condemnation. You see, conviction leads to joy. Because conviction says you're not where you should be, but it's been paid in full. Now accept the forgiveness and therefore walk in joy. Condemnation says you've failed and I'm putting you in a box and I'm locking it and I'm throwing away the key. Condemnation has no hope. Condemnation is a tool of the enemy. He loves phrases like you're never going to get this right, so why not give up right now? Condemnation says you're worthless. Nobody cares about you. Condemnation says you are a failure. Now the flip side of that 
is equally dangerous. The flip side of condemnation is, no, no, I'm awesome. There is nothing wrong with me. I am like, you know, I am a gift to God. Take me just as I am and don't change me because, Jesus, I am perfect. And we might laugh at that, but I wonder how many of us actually act like it. Because when this gets under our skin, we say, no, no, that's okay, I'm all right. No, don't, don't condemn me about that sin, Jesus. I've got the source. It's all okay. Well, what we're saying to him at that moment is, no, I'm awesome. Now, keep in mind, if you're telling yourself you're that awesome, Satan can twist that and we realize that we never actually then experience the grace and the mercy of the cross as well. Come to him. Yeah, the main purpose of the conviction of the Spirit is to bring us to the end of ourselves so that we fully trust the Lord. Because as long as we believe there is some hope or strength in ourselves, the cross will remain secondary. And so conviction's end result is forgiveness and joy. And as it says in our chapter, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And joy is a strength because joy holds your life steady despite the circumstances that you're in. Right? There is a, the difference between joy and happiness, happiness is circumstantial. You can have a happy day. You can have a sad day. You can have a good day. You can have a bad day. You can have a bad week. You can have a bad month. You can have a bad year. All of that, you can have those things that dependent on your circumstances. Joy is not linked to circumstance. Joy is linked to Jesus. Joy, you find that joy is anchored in him. It's anchored in the person of Jesus Christ, which means that whatever comes your way, there is joy. Or to quote that other song, there is peace, which is like a river that washes over our lives. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Though we have not seen him, that's Jesus, we love him. And even though we don't see him now, we believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Why? Because we are receiving the end result of our faith, the salvation of our souls, this anchor that we have, our hope for eternity. And so no matter what is coming, we have this anchor. No matter what we're going through, we have this anchor, and that anchor is Jesus Christ, and Jesus fills us with joy because we follow him. In Psalm 16, verse 11, it says this, You made known to me the path of life. Now, when the Bible talks about the path of life, what's it talking about? It's talking about the word of God. You've made known to me the path of life. I can discover the way to live. It's found in here. It starts the relationship with him, and it continues to be built on him. You made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Yeah, the mark of the kingdom of God for us is the joy, is joy in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus in John chapter 16 tells us, he said, ask for a touch of the Spirit. Ask for a filling of the Spirit. Ask for the joy of the Spirit so that your joy may be full. And we come into a moment like this and we say, well, I don't feel it. Yeah, it's more of a fact than a feeling. 
when you submit yourself to the fact, when you say, God, here I am, I want to receive. When you say, Amen, to the fact. When you bow your life to the fact, guess what happens? Your soul responds to the fact and you discover the feeling of joy. And it's yours in abundance. And so we have this joy. And joy then leads to practical obedience. It was interesting that um, they came back the next day in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 13. It says, On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. So what that means is this, is that they did church on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And then they came back and they had a celebration on Sunday. They did a week of church. More than that, on the Sunday, the first Sunday that they did it, Ezra started reading at 6 o'clock in the morning and he finished at lunchtime. So for you who are sitting here complaining about a 30-minute sermon, get over yourself. They read it for six hours and they stood the whole time. Consider yourself lucky. (laughs) And as they came back and they gave attention to the words of the Lord, they read about this festival of the seventh month and they read that they were to celebrate this festival by building shelters and they looked at their calendars on their on their iphones and they discovered that they were in fact in the seventh month and they had this realization oh my goodness we are followers of god we are supposed to be in the seventh month celebrating the festival of shelters And so they sent this message out. They said, everybody, quick, go and get olive trees and wild olive trees and palm branches and myrtle branches, and let's build these tents in our backyards and in our our homes and and on the street corners, and we've got to do this, and we've got to do this for the next week. We've got to do it right now because this is the season that God has called us to do this. And it would be inconceivable to us to have bowed ourselves to the Lord, to have received his word and to affirm his word in our life to then turn around and say, but we're not actually going to put it into practice. So they did it. So they went out and they built the tents and they lived in tents for a week. And you might say, why on earth would you live in tents for a week? That is so intense. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) When the people of Israel were taken out of Egypt by the Lord. He wanted them to remember what they went through. And he said to them, you know what? You spent a whole truckload of years living in tents because you're in the wilderness. And when you get into the promised land and you build houses for yourself and you establish businesses and life gets more comfortable, I want you to remember where you've come from. I want you to remember my gracious hand of power that has saved you and rescued you from Egypt. So once a year, for a week, I want you to go and get material together and I want you to leave the comfort of your home and I want you to live in a tent for a week. And that's going to do two things. Firstly, it's going to remind you of where you have come from and of my power and of my glory and of my might in rescuing you. And it's going to deepen your worship of me. 
because you'll remember where you have come from. But secondly, it is going to tell others about my power and my glory and my ability to rescue you and to bring you into life and to fullness. Why? Because others are going to be walking past you and they're going to say to you, why on earth are you living in a tent? And you'll say, let me tell you the story of my God. Obedience to the Lord resulted in extraordinary celebration and incredible storytelling and great joy. And they obeyed the command of the Lord for the time they were in. So what is the application for us today? What time are we in? What is the command of God for us today? Well, strangely enough, the Bible is really clear. Yeah, people say, well, what's God's will for my life? Let me tell you what God's will for your life is. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 28. Go and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. You know what the season is for us today? It's not the season to build tents and live outside. It's the season to tell people about Jesus. It's the season to go and make disciples. Jesus described it this way. He said it is the harvest season. He said the harvest is plentiful and the labor is a few. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'd send out people into the harvest field. Where to go? Share the gospel. It's the season of the gospel. It's the season of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the season where we are to tell everybody we possibly can that Jesus Christ loved them. He gave his life for them on the cross. And when he was on that cross, he paid in full the righteous wrath of God for your sin and for mine. And by believing in him, by trusting him and accepting him as our Lord and Savior, they too can know the fullness of life. They can be filled with joy and be the most alive people on the face of the planet because they too would have a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the season we are in. And the question, therefore, begs to be asked, are you obeying the word of God? Because if you are, those will be activities that you're engaged in. And that is the joy of it. You might say, well, that doesn't sound very exciting. That that sounds a bit difficult. True. But it's what we're called to do. And I want to tell you that without exception, people I know who have given themselves 100% to the things that God has called us to do, who have stood before him and have said, here I am. I affirm it to be true. I bow myself before you and say, I will submit my life to your call on my life. I want to tell you, they're the most joy-filled, alive people I know because I've put him first and I've put his call on our life first. And there's another part of it too. We're in the season where the Holy Spirit indwells every single one of us. And where when we read the word of God, we actually have the power of God to transform our lives so that we can live up to what we have already attained in our position. And so as followers of Jesus, we're proclaimers of the gospel. We're fellow workers in the harvest field. We're disciple makers in the world. And we're being continually transformed through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit so that we would become like Jesus Christ.
You filled with joy? You're alive? That's what it's about. And let me, as we close, let me give you a couple of other little challenges. Yeah, one of the other commands that we have, and this was actually embedded in the, the Great Commission, is baptism. And here's my challenge to you. When you get saved, when you give your life to Christ, one of the very first things that you can do is you can say, I want to get baptized, because baptism shows publicly what has happened privately. Baptism tells the story of where you were, how you were lost in your sin, and how when you then come and stand, and there's usually a baptism pool there, and you, you take a dunk, people who, who don't know, or people who, who are in your world might come and say, why on earth are you doing this? You say, let me tell you my story. It's how I've been saved by Jesus. And he's transformed my life and there is joy and there is peace and I'm more alive than I ever were and I wonder if you would want to know that as well. They built tents. We do baptism. Right? See how it works? I love the way God does that. So here's my challenge for you right at the end. Would you bow your heads with me? Some of us need to obey God in baptism. We've put it off. We've thought about it, but right now we just know that that's the very next step we need to take. And yeah, the amazing thing about it, it actually gets you into the habit of obeying and of saying yes, and it goes like this, the Holy Spirit convicts you, and some of you right now are going, oh my goodness, that's me, I need to do that. And what you're about to do in a second is stand to your feet and say, yeah, I'm going to do this. And then the church will get around you and will just help you, and in a few weeks' time you'll have the joy of being baptized and of celebrating all that God's done in your life. So if that's you, if you're just saying, yeah, that's me. I need to get baptized. Would you, while everybody's just, we're all just here before the Lord, would you just stand to your feet and say, yes, Lord, I know right now I need to be baptized. Would you stand to your feet? Awesome. Awesome. Are there any others? Just saying, yeah, this is true. This is me. Praise the Lord for you too. And I, you know, just before you go, can you just come and give me your name, and we'll um, we'll get in touch with you this week, and in the next few weeks we will celebrate this in baptism. This is so exciting. You know, for some of you, you're sitting and you go, man, I just I want to know the joy of the Spirit. And that little phrase about um, you know the fullness of the Holy Spirit, I, I'm I'm feeling dry. And right here, right now, I just want to ask that God would fill me afresh. And I just want to stand and just put my hands out and say, God, here I am. Would you touch me afresh? If that's you this morning, you just want a refreshment from the Lord, would you just simply stand to your feet? Say, yeah, here I am, Lord. I just want to know you're touching my life. Yeah. There are others saying, this is me. Awesome. Can we all stand? And those who had stood in that moment, you may just want to put your hands out and say, Lord, thank you that thank you that you love me. Thank you that your word brings conviction and it shows me that I'm not where I need to be, nor where I want to be. And so right now I just want to agree with you, Lord, that that you're right. And I want to humbly surrender myself to you and to your way in my life. Lord, I receive the word. 
I accept the word. I submit to your word. So Holy Spirit, would you fill me now? Would you fill me with joy? Would you fill me afresh? Would you give me that sense of delight that there is in you? Thank you, Lord, that you, my relationship with you is an anchor to my soul. And despite my circumstance, I can trust you. And I can know that joy. So Father, in this moment, I join with my friends and family around me and say, Lord, here I am. Fill me. Thank you, Father, for our time together. Thank you, Lord, for blessing us and watching over us. Lord, as we go, we go in your name and we go for your glory. We agreed together and said, Amen.